2: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: On this episode of Missing the Point, we'll discuss the Bruins through the first two games of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. How far the Bruins' end-of-season momentum can carry them, and if the Bees can trust two to finally win them a playoff series. This is missing the point. Episode sixty, but it's all relative.
2: Welcome into Missing the Point. My name's Joe Malkin. I'm joined tonight by Mike Marcangelo, Bob Kelly, and of course, our executive producer, Craig DeLisandro. And we are here to talk to you guys tonight about a little Bruins hockey, the team in Boston that is doing, uh, could we say, second best right now? Or would they be third behind the revolution? But nonetheless, the Bruins are in the playoffs and they're taking on the Washington Capitals. And the series after two games is tied at one, one to one. And uh, this was definitely an episode we, we wanted to get out almost beforehand, but now we get some games to react to here. And guys, it's been two interesting games, to say the least. Game two was won on a Brad Marchand overtime goal, 39 seconds into the overtime period. And I think we need to start with the big elephant in the room because this series very well could be 2-0 in favor of the Bruins. Of course, Washington's a little bit bigger. They're a little bit stronger, but the Bruins are probably more skilled. But the elephant in the room, Mike, is the goalie. Oh, we're starting Tukorask. here. We're going to start here. And there, and there's a reason why I want to start here. I want to work from worst to best, kind of. But with, with Tuukka Rask, you have Jeremy Swayman, the, the rookie out of the University of Maine on the bench, who has played phenomenal during the regular season. We all know that Tuka becomes Tuka in the playoffs. And would you say at this point he is already playoff Tuka?
1: Do you wanna start with me? Because I'm I, I I don't know how long I'm gonna go or should we go oh, to No blind? no
2: I wanna start with you because I I want you to go because I feel like we're gonna not only get some good points here, but we're gonna have a lot of good talking points out of this.
1: All right, Craig, I'm, I'm glad that you hit record. Like, t- this is Tuca playoff. Playoff Tuca, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yes, we are, we are now two games in, right? We are, we are. We see a situation where he's not losing you a game. Sure, get it. He's not the reason you lose, but you want to know what else he isn't? He's not the reason you win. He's not single-handedly winning you a game. I get it. Deflections, not completely his fault. But is it too much to ask for him just to make one Outrageous stop and save the game there. Because in reality, right now, two games in, Tuka Rask has stopped 65 of 71 shots for a 9.15 save percentage. Craig Anderson, a guy who has not started, uh, who, who played us what, four years ago with Ottawa, 40 years old, a journeyman, not a great goalie, has a has a 929 save percentage. Who gets paid more? Tuka so we, I fundamentally believe that the Boston Bruins live and die by how Tuca performs. The problem is, I don't think Tuca believes that either. I don't think he buys in. I think as long as he just goes out there and he doesn't make a catastrophic mistake, th- that it's fine, that he won't have any of the limelight. But we need him to do something extraordinary, right? We need him to stand on his head. And so far he hasn't. So yeah, this is Tuca. I mean... Uh, good for him. He hasn't gone home to play golf yet. I, I commend him on that. But like, could you just save us a game, please?
2: I want to poke one hole into what you said there about it, the difference between him and Craig Anderson. They've both made 65 saves. The difference is that Tuca's faced 71 shots and Craig Anderson has faced 70.
1: Yeah, I'm aware I didn't use it because it didn't fit what I was saying. But I, yes, I know
2: that's are. why I'm using it against you. And I'm going to argue a point that I don't think you even start Jeremy Swayman in game three, and I think you stick with two. Tu-
1: yeah, of course you stick with two. Tu- of, of course, you give him the chance to go out and earn the money that you've been paying him. Maybe this is the year that he decides, maybe game three is the game that he decides, you know what? I'm sick and tired of having this label of we wish he was more like
0: Thomas. Yeah, but is
2: he gonna, but he's not gonna do that, Mike.
0: He's never gonna be that guy. Yeah. That's the thing is like, we know we've seen Tuca since before Thomas was even in town. It's the same Tuca. We know who Tuca is. It doesn't surprise me anymore. Yes, I still my like, God damn it, Tuca. But it still doesn't surprise me that he makes these amazing saves. Those deflections in whatever there's traffic in net is his kryptonite, man. And there's something about it where if he can't get that puck right off the stick, more often than not, that puck's going in. and And it is frustrating at times. But at the same time, it's like, okay. So I know we pay him to be that top-level goalie, which is why I think after this year, we don't see him in Boston anymore. I think Swayman does come in and take this job moving forward. But for the time being, what frustrates me is the Bruins don't, play the type of hockey that they know Tuka is going to succeed in sometimes. And that's getting rid of those pucks in front of the net, not letting those defensive breakouts because that's when Tuka gives up those easy goals. Like Tuka's always going to be there to make those crazy go across the crease saves with the stick and make these crazy glove saves, but it's those deflections and easy goals that he lets in. And, and it's just frustrating to me that time and time again this defense lets it happen.
2: That's part of the criticism of of Tuka Rask is that he's too much of a butterfly style goaltender, which has been a problem because most goalies are butterfly style goalies now. And one criticism I was reading about today of Tuka is that his back is still not 100%. So he's having a tough time getting to the ice. So you have a butterfly goaltender that can't get into the butterfly position.
1: There it is. Okay, but again, I I really like a back is a weird injury. Uh, Anyone who's had back problems, like you know it, right? I get it. But here we are, another postseason where we're talking about another injury for Tuca. I mean, last year again, he left. He had his reasons. I get it. It looks bad. I will always hold it against him for what he did when he returned to Boston, as opposed to leaving for Boston. But we've seen other playoff, uh, other playoff fronts when he has cramps, right? Can't make a start. So it's always something that was that that was the one that
0: killed me, man. It's
1: always something with him. Like to your point, Bobby. Yeah, if the, if the defenders let someone behind them, we all know as fans that instantly it's a goal, right? Just you can count on that just as much as you can count on the fact that oh, it's playoff time. Something will be bothering Tuca, and it will be something that we that they can use in in their narrative. Because I'm not the only one that has one at the end of the postseason that says. Well, yeah, well, you know, his back wasn't 100%. Well, how, what is it then? Stop paying him $8 million a year. Like, th- stop, please. Well, so, he,
2: I mean, we have to agree that he's a world-class goaltender. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it, because he doesn't show up in the playoffs doesn't mean he's not a world-class goaltender. And, and we, we're going back and forth on this because, Mike, where, where you started this segment with <laughs> how much he's turning into Tuca, and then you said, well, we got to give him a shot to earn that money. Well, now it's back to – but what reason has he given the city of Boston and the front office to keep putting him out there? The fact that he's a world-class goaltender really is the simple answer, right? But then the the next thing I would say is all these people that are calling for Swayman that want Swayman in goal for game three, well, okay, Swayman's been great. He's been phenomenal, and there's a reason why Jeremy Swayman – became the backup goaltender for the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. And it's because of Tugarask's injuries in Yaroslav Halak's bout with COVID. And that's when Dan Vladar and Jeremy Swayman took over. And you're looking at a rookie. I, when you have this type of situation in sports, I always equated back to uh, the movie For Love of the Game when Billy Chapels throwing a perfect game in the ninth inning with two outs and the New York Yankees sent up the rookie. Well, why do you send up the rookie? Because he's got nothing to lose. He's not thinking about anything. All he's thinking about is going up there and, and putting the ball in play. And it's the same thing with Jeremy Swayman. That's for the regular season. When you put him between the pipes in, in the postseason, how do we know what he's going to give you is better than two grass?
1: Bobby, I, I don't want to speak for you, but like, I don't think either of us are calling for Swayman to start, right? I think. Well, I'm not saying I'm not
2: saying you guys. This is an attack on the, the Bruin. Phase.
1: collectively on this show. I think what I'm really just begging for what appears to be, what it feels like is the 10th season in a row, is for Tuca to show some balls right, in the playoffs. And the reason why I get baited into this, and I said before on this very show that I don't care if the Bruins win every single regular season game. I still think Tuca is going to do what he usually does in the playoffs. Yep. But after Swamin started and Tuca came back, he was pretty much lights out. It, it, it felt like he took to that. Right. He was like, well, this is my job. So a little of that onus was finally being put on him. But now, again,
0: don't get it twisted. It's not his fault that they lost either of these two games.
1: But he's he's also not the reason that you won them.
0: So, so to go for sw- on Swayman too, is Joe, I completely agree that, like, listen, Swayman's stats in the regular season were absolutely lights out. This dude had a 1.5 goals allowed against, save percentage was 945, and he was seven and three. Like, absolute lights out. I'm pretty sure he had two shutouts this season. So, so absolutely lights out as a rookie goaltender. But you never know how a rookie is going to react to the NHL playoffs. It's the same yeah. thing in every single sport. The playoffs are a different speed. I, I do think if to, to elaborate on what you just said, Mike, I do think if we ended up losing that game last night, which thank God we didn't. I do think we see Swayman in game three, not even because of the Tuca performance, more because of the energy that I think it would have brought the team. To have the rookie goaltender in there, I think it would have changed everything about how they were playing. But winning that game, you know, definitely gave Tuca another night. There's no way we see Swimming in a game three. No chance.
1: Like, statistically, I think what I'm saying to you, I'm, what, the reason, the arguments that I'm making are like the gut, right? The, the eyes of the gut, they're just what you've seen. Statistically, he gives you the best chance to win a game. Sure. Are none, and you don't want to run the risk of ruining a rookie too early on by putting him out there and having him go, let's say, zero two or zero three in this series, right? Because that, if if that lingers, then you're really screwed. You don't have you don't have a plan for Tuca. I just think my biggest criticism, as as now, you know right now, I think it holds true, is he makes really bad, like really hard saves look easy. He does give him the credit. He does that, but he also makes really really easy saves look hard and lets easy goals in five hole is, I mean, it's it's just, it's open season for him.
0: Upper net stick side yeah. gets him every single time. He cannot get that stick up there to save his life. He can't yeah. do it anymore.
1: And, and, and again, I'm not a professional athlete, right? We all know that. So like, let's, before we start coming at me for that, just I'm aware. However, if you know that you have one tick, one thing that is your kryptonite over the span of, you know, this has been since the 2010 playoffs against Philly. Right, the same things have been happening. Like, fix it. Just fix it. Do something to improve your chances of that not happening again. And from where I from where I sit, he's just content being a guy who's on a team that wins, as opposed to being the reason for that team winning.
2: And we've seen that with a lot of keepers in the past, right? Like, there's a lot of tenders, goaltenders, Patrick Waugh, Henrik Lundqvist, Jonathan Quick. You know.
1: He was an animal.
2: Yeah, well, no, and that's why I'm bringing those names up because, I mean, those are really all, uh, will, one of them, Jonathan Quick, will likely be a Hall of Fame goaltender, but the other two guys are, are without a doubt, Hall of Famers, and Tuca probably is as well, um, looking at his numbers right now. I mean, the guy in the regular season is 306, 163, and 66. And really, his first full season wasn't until the 2013-14 season. But he was a member of the Bruins starting in 2007, which is yep. amazing. I, I can't believe that it went that far back. And the year that they won the Stanley Cup, he won 11-14-2 in the regular season. So he was even under five hundred behind Tim Thomas.
1: Do you remember what happened the year before, Joe?
0: Yeah, he was a starter for the year before.
1: We were up 3-0 against the Flyers. And then we lost that that series 4-3 after being up in Game 7, three goals to none. That's three right. nothing,
0: yeah. This That's is what he does.
1: like. This is what he does. This is, so like just, just again, you're probably right. He's he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. I get it. He's one of those statistical Hall of Famers, right? That Bobby hates. That I sometimes argue for. What I will say, he would be one. He would be iffy for me only because it's not like so. His stats are really good, and he was on, on a contending team. He's not like one of those goalies that posted really great stats, but could, but could never get to the Stanley Cup. He's now been there twice.
2: Should should And it should be more with the teams yeah. that he's had around him.
0: Uh, he absolutely should at least have, he should have one cup as starting goalie. And there's no doubt about that. I mean, you look back at 2013. He played pretty well. Hawks, he played pretty well. Yeah. He, he, he played great in that series. We yeah. should have had one there. He also should have had one against well, the
1: Blackhawks. I mean, that, that he, was, the, the, he caved.
2: That was the point where the Blackhawks were on a roll though. I mean, you yeah. couldn't stop that team.
1: They were a dynasty, like that. That, that was a huge dynasty. But to your point, Bobby. Right, Game Seven, home ice. I don't care. Yeah. You you do, extra human, superhuman things to stop that puck from going in the net. He
0: couldn't do it. And the thing, and the thing is, is what what bothers me to Tuca is like I don't want to turn this into a Tuca a absolute Tuca hate fest because listen, this man has done a lot. Like you guys know me, it's hard to get to a championship. It's hard to win a championship. He's been the starting goalie for a team that's been there twice. Okay. Yeah. But it does get to a point where, like, listen, this isn't the Tatum and Brown argument, though. You know what I mean? He's not 23 years old. No. He's not a young dude. Tuca nope. is who he is at this point. And, like, and I completely agree with you on that point. And I think this is, I know we said this before, but this is the year for Tuca to prove it. Because yeah. not only do we, we have his replacement in the wings. You know yeah. what I mean? If Tuca leads us to a cup this year, great. Extend him. Do whatever you got to do. If he doesn't, if we don't win it this year and, and Tuca does have a letdown getting there, and that's why we end up getting knocked out because he gave up an easy goal in overtime, whatever the case may be, that's got to be it for him. It has to be. It has to be.
2: Yeah, it, and I mean, you, you're absolutely right. Not only do you have Jeremy Swayman waiting in the wings, you also have a young Dan Vladar. And I'm not saying that Jeremy Swayman or Dan Vladar are, are tuca Rask but at this point in time, let's bring it back to, 2021, the 34-year-old, he turned 34 on March 10th, again, he is an elite goaltender. He is now 1-1 one and one in the 2021 uh, NHL playoffs. As Mike mentioned at the top of this segment, he's made 65 saves on 71 shots for a 915 save percentage. And it has been the team around him uh, that have kept these, kept the Bruins in these two games. I mean, they've gone to overtime in game one and game two with Washington winning 3-2 in overtime in game one. That was a quick one in the overtime period as well. And as we mentioned, the Bruins won last night on a Brad Marchand goal 4-3. So moving beyond the goaltender, and I guess the final words on that is the same thing that Bobby said. This isn't a tuga hate fest. We know that Tuka is great, but he needs to prove it because there is a reason why after Bobby mentioned the 2009, 2010 season, there is a, there is a reason why they went out and got Tim Thomas and, and brought yeah. him in here to, to win because he wasn't ready. And now tuka has been in the same position multiple times. And it, Bobby, you're, you hit the nail on the head. If he can't do it now, it's time to move on. And maybe it's not to Jeremy Swayman, but it's time to move on.
1: Yeah, I think what's the most damning about this, right, or, or what highlights it the most, whatever, however you want to frame it, is you can make the argument that he's the reason why in the last couple of years that you've been the president's trophy winner. Absolutely. Right? He elevates you to such an extent in the regular season that it makes you, it, it lets you know that he can do it. He has it in him. But he just, for whatever reason, in the playoffs, he just can't. So now is the time to change it. And, you know, it might sound like I hate him. I think if there was ever a year, this is the year that he changes it. Because as you both have mentioned, there is a replacement there. Like, like there has been never before, right? So there's a young replacement there who costs a little bit less. They can, you know, the front office can invest elsewhere on the team and start him. And again, now's the time to prove it.
0: And we've seen the Bruins right now are in the mindset of turning this over to a new young group of promising rookies, young guys. We saw it with Zidaneo. He's out. They turned this entire defense over. We saw it with Krug. Like, the Bruins aren't going to be the team that's going to throw a contract extension at Rask just because he's Tuka Rask and because he's been here forever. Listen, they don't care. They will bring that rookie goalie in. So... Just to keep reiterating it, this is it for Tuca. If he doesn't do it now, he's not going to do it.
2: And what's great is that they do have that, Bobby. They've turned over the defense. They made a trade and gave basically, they basically gave up a bag of pucks uh, to Buffalo (laughs) to get Taylor Hall, which has been a great signing. But I I can tell you why he's on a, not on the positive side of the performances for me as we move on here. But yeah, no, I mean, and and we are going to move on to that because the core that is still around you know it's interesting to look to look at this roster i feel like jake has been around for a decade and he's only 24
0: right and he's Um, still young yeah
2: but you know looking around this roster two games into the 2021 nhl uh, stanley cup playoffs bruins and capitals of course they've now met three times in a row they met last tuesday where the or wednesday and the the bruins fell to them in the, the season finale of course they were resting everyone and then lost the first game of the series, but now they've tied it back up. We expect Tugrask to start the game on uh, May 19th. And looking at this roster, Mike, who have been your top performers for the Bruins so far in this first series?
1: I think, you know, so y- y- you would be, you have to say Jake DeBrusque, right? I, I think just from the, mere, from the mere fact that, you know, he's two goals, two points. He's a positive plus minus. I think having Taylor Hull, Taylor Hull on your team, just him being there, he's a positive. And I understand like he there are some things that he could do a little bit better, but he gives you a little bit of an offensive threat that you have not had in so long. And he's not afraid to get dirty. I mean, he tied the game with just over like I think two minutes and forty nine seconds left in regulation because he was in the right spot and he did the right things. I also think this is going to sound weird, Marshon, right? What he did last night. Now, if you in real time, when you you look at him punching the guy in the nuts as man, like this is just (laughs) it's so stupid. You can't do that. You can't.
2: Mike, you're talking about the guy that was licking people's faces two years ago.
1: Yeah. but Like you're thinking, okay, here's that guy again. Here's that guy that, you know, you barely
2: love that guy, though.
1: Kind of. But last night it felt like he did what he did to get his team back involved because he 100%. knew that, that Tuca was under siege, that the, the Capitals for the second game in a row came out firing and the, the Bruins were kind of flat, which is odd. You know, it was what tied two two at the end of the first. It's hard to say, you know, after the fact that they were flat, but they were. So he did the things that he needed to do in order to instigate and to get his people fired up. And that won't show up on a stat line. But I think for that reason that he, he's in the positives.
2: That that game literally had the ability, the game to be a like fifteen goal thriller, and the, I think that's where you're absolutely right, Mike, in in Marchand being on close to the top of the list. Of course, DeBrusque, Nick Ritchie has had a great series so far. Grizzlick and Pasternak. If you look at the whole roster, even though it's one one, there's only two offensive players on the Bruins right now that don't have a point either a goal or an assist, and that's Sean Corelli and Chris Wagner. And Chris Wagner is only playing nine, nine and a half minutes a game. And Sean Corelli is only playing 11 minutes a game in the first two games of the of the series, which, of course, I, I look at the other side of the ice and 43-year-old Zdeno Chara still playing 16 minutes a night in the playoffs, which we'll get to. But for me, I, I agree with you, Marshan. I mean, I, I think in a situation like that, Mike, where you need to, it's like a manager getting himself thrown out of a playoff game in baseball. Right. It's like, I mean, I can't even pick out an an NFL or an NBA equivalent, but that's basically what it is. It's getting your team fired up around you to take the focus off of someone else. And if we're taking off the the focus off of Tuca, I'm okay with that. And I think you two are as well, but it's Marshan and Mike, you had written down Pergeron as well. I mean, I just think because he has the C on his chest, you have to put him in that conversation. He's scored a goal. He's playing 20 minutes a night, 19 minutes and 59 seconds to be on average. He's playing the second, third, third most minutes, fourth most minutes for the Bruins. And that's what it means to be a Bruins captain. And he's putting the team on his back. And while at the same time, allowing his teammates, the Marchands, the DeBrus to make their impact where needed.
0: Even Taylor Hall in the press conference after the game specifically praised Marshawn and his leadership. He was saying, listen, Marshawn hasn't been showing up much on the stat sheet. When you're watching, you know, he may not be doing everything that you think he should be doing in that moment. But specifically said it's not all about about goal scoring or scoring points. When he goes into a forecheck one on two, comes out with the puck, or if the D-man has him and he spins off quickly and settles the play down, those are huge plays, Hall said. There's no stat for that, really. But we see that on the bench and we're able to galvanize and come together. So literally just Brad Marshawn being Brad Marshawn, stats and and, and playmaker and and electricness aside, just him being that dirt dog, getting down and dirty, doing that extra, making that extra pass, doing the extra play, brings this team together and brings them to a new level. And and you saw when when Marshawn scored that goal there's not a better person on the team to score that game-winning goal. Oh yeah, This team was so fired up that it was Marshawn that got that snipe. Yeah, You you saw the Taylor Hall quote where he's like, "Nah, no, it wasn't that big a deal. I've been lifting and Marshawn doesn't weigh that much. Like it, it was just so perfect the way that it all went down and to see him jumping in the Hall's arms like that. It's just the chemistry on the bench of this team is something that we haven't seen in a while. It's almost reminiscent of, that 2011 year because we brought in those reinforcements that we haven't been able to bring in years past and these guys aren't just good they're sick they're playing on a different level like all three of them so it's awesome I agree it's Marshall what what we saw last night you know in game two was
1: that is a well timed on, right mm-hmm. it, it isn't biting somebody kissing somebody none of that he got he he was he knew that what what was happening to him you know he took liberty he was being liberties were being taken with him. So he sticks somebody in the nuts. They both got a penalty for that, right? It it also showed his teammates that, yeah, we're getting our asses kicked right now. But guess what? We're just going to get back up. And if we have to do that ugly thing to to level the playing field, we're going to do it. And I think it was poetic that, like, as you said, he's the guy that scored the goal because he – you could feel a shift after that, right? It wasn't a pretty game – By any stretch, I actually believe that the Capitals beat the living hell out of us. The hits were close, but they really weren't if you watched. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely killing us. And Brad just knew what to do. So I think you need people on your team like that to know when to kind of push the boundary or to toe that line, but not cross it so far that you can't come back, right? Because I think even like that Vancouver series, I know we keep going back. There were points in time in brad Marshine's history with the bruins where you could like as a fan you say well, yeah he was wrong if he wasn't on our team I, I would hate him last night what he did you want that guy on your team at all times yep. he, he took a temp he took the temperature of the room and he knew exactly what he needed to do and he did it
2: what was interesting you mentioned the, the penalty so he got penalized and him and john carlson of the the washington capitals lead the series with four penalty minutes each and you mentioned the physicality of this Washington Capitals team and where you have those leaders you you have the Bergeron who is kind of the lead by example and you have the you have the Marshan who's the lead by uh, doing something outside the box to to get his team back into the game. You know, you got to look on that other side and really give them credit, give Washington credit for the team that they've put together because they're kind of an old-timey hockey team where they're physical, they're big, they hit you hard, and that's got to be something that's going through Bruce Cassidy's mind when he's talking to his team pre- and post-game is get through this seven-game series. This is going to be the toughest team you're going to play in terms of physicality in this entire playoffs, you know, maybe the best team until you get to Tampa, because this is a very good team and they have a great leader in Alex Ovechkin, but uh, by the way, they have your former captain for the past 15 years. And they also have, you know, one of the better USA hockey players of this generation, and that's TJ Oshie. So they have a very good team on the other side of the ice, but when you put these two teams back to back and you really put them on the same playing field or ice if you will i think the bruins have the upper hand and someone else i want to throw into the mix of this conversation is charlie mcavoy who mm-hmm. i i give i give don sweeney a lot of credit right now in this series just through two games and i know it's early and sometimes i'm missing the point we have a habit of being a little too early to the game bobby the the red sox preseason show but <laughs> when you look at what charlie mcavoy has done in this series he has an assist. In two games, but he also has the highest plus minus among any player on the ice. Any player on the ice. nobody. He's at plus three, and there's a reason for that. He's become a very good defenseman, and it's almost like not having Chara on the other side of the ice from him has been a good thing for Charlie McAvoy. He has played very well on the defensive end, and he has bailed out the offense and Tuca on many occasions already in the series.
1: You know, we we were on them last year, and we've been talking about Char leaving for a couple of years, right? Maybe they held on a little bit too long. I think they did the right thing because they let McAvoy – Developed to be the, the the defenseman that he needed to be, so now in a playoff game or in a play or in a playoff series, <clears throat> you can be down. You know, it can be one one, but you have a plus minus of three. He's always on the ice for the good stuff, and not a lot of bad stuff happens when he's out there. That's all you can ask for. Oh, and by the way, he's a pretty skilled puck handler, and he's fast. So I think, you know, I, I think we we owe a lot to the mentor that that Big Z was two to McAvoy, because I don't think he's a player
0: that he is now if, if, if it had not been for Zidane Chara,
2: No, and he's playing 25 and a half minutes a game.
0: And right. you think about it, how many defenders do you see? So that Hall game-tying goal, you know who was also right there poking at that puck? McAvoy. No, no, that, no. I mean, he was right there ready to poke that well, thing. Can in. we
2: talk about that goal for a second? Because it, 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 was there any doubt in anybody else's mind that should have been called back because of the amount of bodies in the crease? Or are we just forgetting about that? I mean, them,
1: you don't them. you don't blow the whistle; it's not getting called back.
2: Sure, right, right. They, they didn't blow the whistle. They didn't go and review it. They called it a goal on the ice. That
1: was that. What, what leads me to believe that's a real goal and that they shouldn't have been called back is you saw early in that game mm-hmm. that they blew the whistle really early. There was there was a puck where Tuca did not have control. He did not cover it. Everyone could see it, mm-hmm. and they still blew it dead. So it, t- it tells me that they were inclined to blow it dead earlier and some someone got in their ear and said, just kind of, you know, it's playoffs, kind of let them play. I, I would
2: say that that's fair, and, and that's how that, that turned out. And Taylor Hall did a, a great job to put that puck in the net. And, I mean, talk about that trade, but, Bobby, go ahead.
0: No, that's, that's – so I'm going to go right off of what you just said because that was one of my other guys is Taylor Hall. Just having him here. It is such a big difference on this team, man. You know, I put it in Discord chat a few times. The difference that he's had on David Krejci, the difference that he's had on Craig Smith, just the chances these guys are getting, the amount of offense that we're generating is unbelievable. I want to go back and just shout out Mr. Cassidy for, I guess Cassidy, Sweeney, Mr. Sweeney for making that trade, because that has to be, one of the best deadlines we've had since 2011. Since we brought in Horton, Kelly, and to a lesser extent, Thomas Cabriolet, to this team, it, it's, been, it's been the same type of production that this team has with these three guys. It's been Hall, Smith, Riley, Lazar, and we got all these guys for a bucket of balls. And it, it just is such a good trade and turned this team into what we see right now, into a team that, listen, they got outplayed these past two nights. Oh, absolutely outplayed, like 100%. And the fact that we're going back to Boston one to one just shows the mindset that this team has right now. Like we could have won both those games easily. And we got our asses kicked in both of them. So it's just a different mindset this team has. And- you know, I I to go back to Tuca. I hope that Tuca doesn't end up being the one to kill it. Because I really like he, the won't, feng he, shui won't, up. he won't he won't be. I love everything about this team, the lineup, the way they've been flowing for the past few months. Like even in games that they're down. I don't know if you guys remember this regular season game against Buffalo, but we were down, I think it was five to one going into the third period. And they came all the way back. Yep. They ended up losing six to four. But it, it was just unbelievable the fight that this team has. So I love the swagger this team has. And I think Taylor Hall is a big reason. Yeah, for
1: there's it. no shame in losing, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of shame in, in not showing up
0: <clears throat> Tuka.
2: So what's interesting about Taylor Hall is he's been in the NHL since 2010 was drafted by Edmonton. We all remember it because they— everybody was talking about the Bruins trying to get this Taylor Hall kid out of uh, Calgary, Alberta. And, it's just interesting that they've had to wait 10 years, you know, 11 years, uh, to finally get him on this team. And he's such an interesting personality, because if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know the Bruins, you don't know T- Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall has kind of been, he's kind of underperformed his entire career, oh, except, for, except for the MVP season when he won the, the hard season. Trophy in 2017, yeah. 2018. Yeah. So I think one of the big things with this kid is that Everybody thought he was going to be the guy when he came into Edmonton and Edmonton wasn't good enough at the time. And obviously they had the first pick in the draft and he just never became the guy. And he just kind of puttered out in Edmonton, goes to New Jersey, plays four seasons, ends up in Arizona, then Buffalo. And now he finds his way East to Boston. So he's kind of just been making his way South and then East again. So with the way they acquired him, and the team that they already had here, there's no reason for Taylor Hall to be the guy. And one thing that I was reading from one of our, one of our, one of our friends that we like to talk about from time to time on the show is Tony Maserati on 98.5, the sports hub was that he brought up that press conference, Bobby, that you brought up earlier when they asked him about Marshann's goal. And, you know, Taylor says I had a skate issue at the beginning of overtime and I couldn't be out there. And, I was just really happy to see Brad score that goal early, get us out of it. And then, you know, he comes over and jumps on me, and then he had that quote where he said, you know, I've been lifted and he doesn't weigh much. And it was just kind of a a fun quote. But Tony Maserati brought up a good point because he also mentioned in that snippet, it felt like I had scored the goal. He was on the bench and the team scores to win a playoff game in overtime. And they come over to the bench to celebrate as a team and Marchand just finds the first guy, and it's Taylor Hall. Yep. And he dives on him on the bench. And now, to, to me, and based on everything I've read, seen, watched, heard, that is Taylor Hall understanding that he does not need to be the guy. Yeah, that is him understanding that he is just part of this team. So, Bobby, you said it perfectly. That trade deadline, they went out and got guys they knew that they could get for nearly nothing and pulled it off. And every single one of them has been playing well here down, down the stretch. And it's worked out. I think with a shorter season and the teams that they've been playing, I think that's helped as well. But one guy you mentioned was Curtis Lazar, who in two games has an assist one point, obviously, but on the season he played in 17 games, had two goals, two assists. He was playing 12 minutes a night. Those are pretty good production numbers for a guy that's, that's playing 12 minutes a night, 13 minutes a night. So Bobby, I'm with you. I I like this lineup from top to bottom offensively and defensively. And prior to this season, when everybody was up in arms, that Zidane Chara left, I think this is where I make an attack on the city of Boston and its fans. I think that this city holds on to guys too long, even if it's for the right reasons. And, It's interesting because we didn't see that when the Angels let go of Pujols the other day and he had been there for 10 years. Different situation. Much different situation. He didn't win him a cup. I understand that. But I think, Mike, you said it earlier in the show. I think Sedano Chara leaving was one of the best things for McAvoy because it was time for that to happen. And who knows? I mean, Chara's doing great with Washington, but he may have been... He may have held the Bruins back. I'll say it. Just throw it out there. I
1: mean, I won't won't go that far. I I will say that... Based on what he signed for in Washington, that's why it surprised me that he wasn't here. Right, sure. seven hundred ninety-five thousand. However, you know, it wasn't that he was asking for the world. I think that's. I think that was the shock. But yeah, listen, he's not young, man, and and like his best days are far behind him. We get it, but it's good to have someone like that on your team that's been there, has been that's been in the trenches in, in a deep playoff run. You know, we still have Bergeron martian and to some extent tuca right he's been on the team so like he can well they can tap into it he can just tap out but bobby you were going to say something about Zedano?
0: yeah so the thing with Zedano is i think the biggest problem is yes for the production we could have had him i mean for the money he got paid like i guess i'm surprised we didn't at least offer that yeah but the style of play doesn't fit the way Zidano plays the game anymore. The way the Bruins are trying to play is get up and go. You know what I mean? Like we're beating teams to the puck. We're not this dump and chase. Let's beat the crap out of you. Go get the puck and force the puck at the net anymore. You know who's like that? The Capitals. So that's why I think that you see Z playing like he is because that style of play that they play it reminds me of those old school quad dump and chase teams. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they just dump the puck in. They beat the crap out of you. They take it from you and they score. And if that's not going to work, then they're going to forecheck the crap out of you, try and beat the shit out of you, take it from you, score again. So it's just that same type of mindset that the Capitals have is why I think you see Z succeeding. I really do think Joe, to go back to your point that if Z is on this team, We don't have that same giddy up because we'd still be trying to make Zedano be Zedano. You know what I mean? Like you saw in years past, he slowed this team down time and time again. That's why I do think it was time.
2: Well, let's approach it a different way, Bobby, because I'm going to agree with you here, but I'm going to kind of appease Mike's take on it too, where he fits the Capitals gameplay better than he fits the Bruins gameplay. Does that make sense? Yeah, the Capitals again, big, strong, physical. They don't need to be fast. They're not going to kill you with speed. But you know who's fast? Boston Bruins, so fast, fast. Yeah. and they can move the puck well. And the, the Capitals just stand in the way. And that's that's where he fits in. So it, it's it has clearly been a great fit in Washington for Zidano. And it's been a great move for the Bruins because they've uh, moved on to what they need to move on to for the future. Now. Speaking of moving on to what they want to move on to for the future in the offseason, the Boston Bruins brought in a guy by the name of Craig Smith, who I think Uh we all thought was going to be better than he's been. But as you all may have heard, Mike moan and groan there. Mike, what is your problem with Mr. Smith?
1: If I have to watch 60 more game minutes of Craig Smith Absolutely fumbling the puck in the neutral zone and, and causing turnovers that do not need to happen and be and having some of, and again, not a professional hockey player or athlete or anything, some of the worst stick handling that I've seen in the last couple of years, I'm gonna lose it because not only he doesn't okay, he doesn't have enough offensive upside so far as a Bruin to warrant the, the amount of mistakes that he makes in the neutral zone for me. Right, I, I just think if I have to watch that anymore, and that just goes to the greater point, he's not the only person. Neutral zone turnovers are a big problem for the Bruins, and they, it almost killed them last night. You saw in the, se- in, in the second period, they just constantly could not get into the offensive zone. Why? Because it was errant passes. They weren't hustling. But the leader, the flag bearer of that movement that was happening last night, in my opinion, was Craig Smith. So I'm out on him. Out, out, out.
2: You're completely out on the third line center.
0: I don't know. Yeah, no. So, well, he was—he's technically the two second line center now, isn't he? Or second line wing, right? But it doesn't matter. So, the thing with Craig Smith before we're out on him is he did have a really good regular season. And and, and I don't know what happened to him because you're right. Last night was the most frustrating hockey I've seen from him since he became a Bruin. I don't know what the hell happened because you're right. He couldn't, he could not carry the puck through the neutral zone. And it's like all season long, he was one of our best puck handlers. And it's like, Tuka came over to him and was like, bro, we're going to play together. Let's, let's let's take this <laughs> game over together. But no, the other guy who's been driving me nuts, and he was until last night, honestly, was Charlie Coyle. Before that one play he made last night, where he th- that wraparound was, was textbook. That was amazing. That was one of the best wraparounds I've seen since I played, like, NHL hockey in 1994, like the video game for Super Nintendo. Like, that shit was perfect. But before that, man, he's been struggling. He was my guy that I was thinking about bringing up the entire time. So far in the playoffs, I think he's minus. I think he's like a minus two so far in the playoffs. He was driving me nuts until that goal last night. Hopefully he redeemed himself. They actually ended up demoting him. I'm pretty sure down to the third line before last night. They put the brusque up on the two. But I hope he steps it up going forward. He was my biggest disappointment going into last night, without a doubt. That and the fourth line.
1: If you are in, in what was it? It was 13 games, for the, or sorry, 54 games for the Bruins, 19 goals, 32 assists, or sorry, sorry, 13 goals, 19 assists, 32 points. It's pretty good offensive production, right? You cannot forget the fundamentals of the game that you play and are paid very well to play in game two of a series where you're being outplayed. You can't do it. And again, Go back, it's now Wednesday, go back and watch Monday's game and you will be as equally as frustrated as I was in real time just watching him in the neutral zone, just lollygagging, handing off pucks. It was offensive. It was offensive for someone who's never who's never skated in a professional manner or, or in an amateur manner. Can't do it. But I, if I could, I wouldn't do that. When you look
2: at a guy like Charlie Coyle, who's minus one, and has been demoted, he hasn't, he's, Bobby, he's probably my guy too that's been the most disappointing because he hasn't completely lived up to the hype when he came into this Bruins team. But I I still, I know we've kind of been negative Nancys on a few guys here tonight. Regardless, I think this team can take this series. It's going to go six or seven. They're coming back to Boston for two. What I really want to see, and this will be the first and only mention of the state of the world, what I really want to see is them take this series and come back for game one of the second series with a full garden. With a full garden. Yeah. May, May 29th is when it opens back up. And I'm not sure when the second series starts, but I know that game seven of this series against the Capitals is on May 27th. So, regardless, of when that series starts, if the Bruins are there, they're going to they're gonna play in front of a full garden.
0: No crowd like a full TD garden crowd, man. There is no crowd like a full TD garden crowd.
2: No, there isn't, especially for a Bruins game. Uh, yes. A Celtics crowd is pretty good, but I, I would say that the Bruins crowd is, is probably currently the best in Boston.
1: Yeah, we're hockey town.
2: We are a hockey town. It, that's what happens when you're this far north. So, guys, we're two games in. It's one-to-one. They're coming back to Boston for games three and four. They'll head back to Washington for game five. And if necessary, Boston for game six and Washington for game seven. With the way these two games have gone, I know there's a couple of variables, especially with the goaltender. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah. I would just argue that Tuger's not a variable. He's a, he, he's a consistent, he's a constant, you know, like he, you know what he's going to do. What I will say, which is interesting, right? Like I, I, I didn't know this until I started do, doing a little research for this, for the show is that we've now seen 11 consecutive Bruins Capitals playoff games decided by a single goal. Six of those have gone into overtime. So there's not going to be a, a, a five, nothing, three, nothing. This is all going to go, you know, five, four, whatever it might be. And, you know, I, I think if we can sneak out, if if we can go back to Washington up three one, that's amazing. But I, I do see this, I, I see this series ending in seven, and I, I think that the Bruins match up very well against uh, against the Capitals. I, uh, you know, conversely, I think that the Capitals are probably the hardest opponent aside the, from the defending uh, Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning for the Bruins. But you know, if we can have a moment be amplified like it was last night, where Marshan takes the game in his own hands. If the people can, if the players, if Bergeron, if if Taylor Hall, if God forbid Tuka Rask's, can, can read the moment and say, you know what, it's not happening right now. We're we're gonna we're, I'm, I'm gonna make it happen. Then it could be over in six. I think we're gonna be talking about this series until May 27th. I think, but I do think that the Bruins win this this in seven. So, Bobby, what do you think of this series?
0: Yeah, I, I I do think it's going seven. The most promising thing to me with this series so far is the fact that we have been outplayed both games. And it's one-to-one. We're going back to Boston tied up with the chance to really take control of this series. And if there's one thing about the Bruins in the playoffs that we've seen is they play their best hockey at home. And when they do play their best hockey in the playoffs, they don't just beat teams by one goal. They win four-to-one. They win five-to-one. When this team is firing, they absolutely dominate teams. Going back to Mike's point, I don't think that's what's going to happen in this series. I do think it's going to continue to stay close. But I think the Bruins end up taking this strictly because of the fact that, listen, we have been outplayed. We haven't played our best hockey yet. Absolutely not. Like not even close to the best hockey that the Bruins are capable of. And, and we are, and we're tied 1-1 going back to Boston. So, you know what I mean? We're going the right direction. I think this is over in six. I don't think it gets to seven. I think it's six.
1: Just to ask a question, though, Bobby, not to steal your job, Joe, but can the argument be made that Washington has also not played their best hockey yet either?
0: But they've played their game. That's the thing is, like, we've been playing the Capitals game and trying to keep up with the Capitals game of hockey. We haven't played our brand of hockey yet in this series, and the only time we've seen them play it was in the overtime last night where we ended it in 39 seconds. So I agree that the Capitals haven't played their best hockey, but they've been playing their hockey. And guess what? It's one to one.
2: Mike, I, I would say that the Capitals are playing their best hockey because they won the Eastern Division.
1: Currently, though. Currently.
2: I'm- sure. Sure. Currently, right now, I think the Bruins are being pretty consistent to how they were in the regular season to this point, which is why I think there's still buildup where I think the Capitals are, they might be on the, the downswing. I mean, is that Capitals team the way they're built? Uh, this is kind of a rhetorical question. Are they built to win a Stanley Cup this year? I don't think so. I don't think they're built for stamina. I think they're built for just brute force.
1: Hockey's weird, though, Joe. Like, you know it, right? You and I have sure. ever conversation like it just takes one thing to happen and then like let's say what if Tampa gets eliminated what if the road opens up I, I could see a situation where like I don't believe that the Bruins can win a Stanley Cup right now so I hope that you save that Craig one for when they do and you can use that against me but I mean if there was ever a a, a season where if something if, if a team catches fire you know it feels like it's hard to bet against Ovechkin it just is oh yeah
0: oh without a doubt that snapshot yesterday was yeah, that was wild. I mean, he
2: he's probably still the best player in the NHL, like single best player in the NHL.
0: He's right. the best offensive player in the NHL, no doubt.
1: Oh, sure, he's the most feared. How about that? Like in a crunch time now, because he now now he's a champion, right? And it took him a long time to get there, and he was yep. always kind of that guy.
2: He always was a pure scorer, uh, as Bobby just alluded to. But one one other thing I want to point to is the fact that I, I know that these teams play each other a lot during the regular season. But the way that the way that the season was formatted this year, they played eight games against the Capitals in the regular season and were four two and two. So they picked up ten points against this Capitals team that ended up finishing uh, first in the East. So it, I, I think it goes seven, Mike. I'm with you, and I think the Bruins take this, and I think we're kind of being homers in that way. But I think after last night, what we saw, I think Bobby is absolutely right. They, they haven't played their best hockey yet. They're coming home for two. And they there's probably no better team at home in the NHL than Boston. And even with the amount of fans that are going to be there, it, that place is going to be rocking.
1: This is the thing, man. Like, it, like earlier in, in the early playoff series, right? Everyone on the Bruins, they tap into that extra gear. They all do more than they actually can and they are they play better than they normally are to get them to the Stanley Cup. And then when they need again this is this, it, it sounds like I planned this but then when they need their goaltender to do the same thing that he can't do it, So I will not be surprised if the Bruins get to the Stanley Cup, if they win every series in seven and then they get there and they're all gassed because they've done more than they've been more than anyone thought possible to get there. And now they're a silly putty goalie just does what he he always does. So I I think, I don't think we're homers though. I mean, I listen, two out of the last, what was it? Is it two out of the last seven years or two times in the last decade, the Bruins have been president's uh, cup winners, president's trophy winners. They're a really good team and uh, Cassie's a really good coach, and and Rask is a really good regular season goalie. Let's just see what happens. I think in the first two series, like you always do, you see that the players in front of Rask do more than they are normally capable of to get them to the next, and when they have to turn back and rely on him, they can't. So that will be their downfall again is my prediction. I know, it's glass half full, but...
2: Mike believes that Tuga needs to stand on his head, Marshan needs to uh, start stick-checking guys in the cup, and the young guys need to keep producing, and, and Bruce Cassidy needs to keep being the coach that he is. I, and I think we'll get that. And I'm with you, Mike. I don't know if this is necessarily the team to win the Stanley Cup, but they're at least moving in the right direction, and that was very quick because, you know, coming off of last season where things kind of fell off the rails in the playoffs, they were playing very well, and then with the two canoes and everything else.
1: Yeah, why did they fall off the rails, Let's not go back into that. But I I think, like, if we just – Bobby, I know that you have your last word, and I'll kind of throw this to you. What an interesting transition it has been this season because for the first five games of the season the Bruins could not score even strength. They could not. They were a mm-hmm. terrible five on five offensive team, and now they're really good. So, like credit to Cassidy and the entire squad for turning it around, and you know for this game even happening because they played their asses off all season. They played above themselves, and I think I think they'll do it a couple more times.
0: I do think that this team does have a chance, and and I'm going to go back to what Mike said a little bit earlier is. The Bruins and Capitals have played all one goal games the last eight. You said eleven. The last eight times, 11, eleven times. Yeah, that goes towards the Bruins' advantage, in my opinion. This team is a team that, when it comes down to it, in those one goal games, they pull them out. They find a way. They they always get that late goal. They always find a way to push it to overtime. You no know, regular season overtime is different. But how many times in the regular season did you see this team? Get that extra point because they scored those two goals in the third. Yeah, they ended up losing, but guess what? They got it to overtime. Overtime in the playoffs is a whole different animal. I do see the Bruins making a run here. I really do. I think right now we're at plus eleven hundred for oh, yeah, the Stanley yeah. Cup champions, and we are, and, and I think that's like sixth or seventh in the league. I think the league is sleeping on the Bruins, and I do think the Bruins really do have a chance to make a run here. Just like like we said, because of this, the the makeup of this team. It really does remind me a lot of that 2011 team where it just feels like they're a hockey family. They they're don't. a team that – they don't have Tim Thomas. I know. I get they're it. Just a goaltender. They, they, they don't have a goaltender with
1: balls. How about that? Like, Never mind Tim we Thomas. Don't know,
2: but we don't know that. That's not true. We don't know that, Mike. We, we don't know because Swayman could. And we haven't seen that yet.
0: <laughs> and what I hope though is that the rest of the team just has enough balls to get him through. Because in years past, man, they haven't had the supporting cast like they have right now. You know what I mean? Like, listen, I know Kevin. What was it? Kevin Hay or Kevin Hayes is awesome. Or you know all these guys that that we tried to pick up in the past that were our trade acquisitions. Listen, they're not Taylor Hall, Jerome Gillette, Mike Riley. They weren't. Yeah, but Jerome McGillan was on the back nine. So was Rick Nash. Like, all these guys that we got that were supposed to be our new second wing's right wing. Yeah, i Even him. He was 50 when we got him. Granted, he's still playing hockey at a high level. But, like, it, it's a different team this year. The makeup is different from top to bottom. So I really do think this team has a run in them. But, like Mike keeps saying, it goes as far as Tuka can take them. And, and I hope that the rest of the team can overcome that Tuka factor. This team
1: might have a run as long as the goaltender doesn't get the runs. Go ahead, Joe.
0: Oh, boy. Ooh, that was a good one. I like that.
1: That was good.
2: We're going to end it there. We've talked about the Bruins <laughs> to at length at this point. And uh, you heard it here first. Bobby thinks they're going to win the Stanley Cup. So after we've effectively ripped Tuka Rask a new one, uh, and hopefully he can stand on his head, we know he'll listen and and he'll prove Mike wrong. And if friend not, of, what's that?
1: He's a friend of the show. I, I'd right. love to talk to him. We
2: can say that everybody's a friend of the show. So, well, we anyway, we hope everybody out there that is listening is doing well. And, you know, again, I guess it's the second time I'll uh, say it because it's an exciting time as... The world is beginning to get back to normal and especially the Boston area. I know some other parts of the country have already reached this point, but we are getting back to it and we're going to be back at a hundred percent capacity at sporting events. Something we can't wait for, which is great for uh second and, and third rounds of the NHL playoffs and regular season baseball. And be nice to see Fenway park full again, and all the pink cats in the stands. So, uh, there's my dig for the night. Mike took his digs at Tatuga. I take mine at the Pink Hat Red Sox fans. So for Mike, Marcangelo, Bob Kelly, I'm Joe Malkin, your host. E- Our EP is Craig DeLisandro. Craig, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, I got this No,
1: that's
0: just
2: my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels
0: the-
2: Subscribe today. Electric Est.